You're listening to Day to Day on X106. Hello and welcome to Day to Day. Andrew Botwinick alongside Jenny James here as we're going to, I guess, go right into. We've got two topics today, uh, mostly college basketball because a lot of stuff happened this weekend. Jenny and I were talking about that before we came on. And in the NFL, the Combine, we got a Combine recap because that was a good bulk of the weekend. Actually, it's still going into today. There's still some uh, athletes participating in today's events. But starting with college basketball, we're going to recap some of the games that happened this weekend, starting with Tennessee against Kentucky, the rematch uh, from what we saw earlier this season. And it was the exact opposite of what we saw this season. So home court advantage uh, prevailed for Tennessee they, as they won 71-52 to 52, uh, for Tennessee. Grant Williams had 24 points, 7 rebounds, and Jordan Boone 27 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. And for Kentucky, P.J. Washington led the way with just 13 points. So, Jenny, what, what are your thoughts on, on this kind of a game? I mean, it's just crazy to, like, watch what has been happening um, this year. Like we have talked about the past couple of weeks, a home court advantage this year has been huge. Like, and that's not just one conference. Like, this has been every single conference, even, like, the Big 12. Like, we're seeing the home court advantage play a massive role this year, and I think that's just crazy. Yeah, we, we kind of talk every single week. Yeah, it seems like this season specifically, teams are playing a lot better at home. Um, teams are struggling on the road, which, which is common in college, but not to this level. It seems like by, by tournament time in, in just about two weeks, it could seriously be anybody's game because no one's going to have that home court yeah. advantage and anybody can go in and, and lose any game regardless of seeding is what we saw last year with yeah. Virginia losing to UMBC. So that kind of a game, we might, we might see something like that happen once again. Yeah, I agree. And you look at some of the conference uh, standings still, and there's still multiple conferences that are up for grabs. I mean, the Big 12, it's been like that all season, but it's still, it's it's coming down to the very last few games here of who's going to grab the conference. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of the Big 12, we got the next game up on our slate, the Texas Tech Red Raiders going to TCU. And uh, this Texas Tech team did not struggle on the road. They destroyed TCU, another Big 12 team, for the second week in a row, 81-66. A couple scores, I believe five. I'm seeing, yeah, five scores for Texas Tech in double figures. And for TCU, J.D. Miller led the way with 18 points, eight rebounds, and Alex Robinson with 17.6 assists. So, So some good statistic numbers for TCU. Um, but it seemed like everything was clicking for the Red Raiders, and, and they are slowly making waves in the past couple of weeks in terms of games. Yeah, for sure. I think they are excelling at the right time. I mean, they are tied for first in the conference with Kansas State still. They're both at 12-4, and four, so they are definitely progressing at the right moment, and I do think they have an opportunity to uh, clinch either a share or you know win the conference outright. I'm not sure who they have left to play, but... Um, they are definitely making <laughs> progress at like perfect timing. So it's really, really cool to kind of see from Texas Tech a, a, a team that usually is kind of average, I would say, in the Big mm-hmm. 12. Um, so to kind of see a different name up there, I guess it's kind of exciting for them. Yeah, Texas Tech on a seven-game win streak is what I'm seeing now. They're, they round out the season at home against Texas and then on the road against Iowa State. So, yeah, Jacob Jacob Blair and I were talking earlier. This Texas Tech team, 
could do some damage. Um, they're, they're making some waves. And, yeah, like you said, they're getting hot when they need to get hot, especially towards the end of the season. And that's typically the teams that go far in tournament is teams that, that excel at the end of the season. And then you mentioned K-State, them tying or having the, the share of the Big 12 right mm-hmm. now. K-State for the rest of the season, uh, their next game is at TCU. And then they round out with a home game against Oklahoma. So it, possibly, we, it depends on what TCU team we right. end up getting. But um, And then in contention still for getting an, for a, a share in that Big 12 title is KU, who um, actually tomorrow play at Oklahoma and then round out at Allen Fieldhouse against Baylor. And that Oklahoma game could could be one that, that could play spoiler for the Big 12. Yeah, um, I really want to watch look out for the Baylor game just because Baylor is sitting right behind Kansas there. So they, I mean, it is at Allen Fieldhouse, and that's always a challenge. But uh, I think Baylor might be able to give Kansas a run for their money. So it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen because yeah. the Big 12 has been crazy this season. So. Yeah, to say the least. I believe, yeah, they are still, Kansas is still undefeated at home. So to lose on the last game of the season <laughs> to Baylor for potentially a share of the Big 12 title, that would that would, that would would be kind of perfect, I would think. Yeah, it would. And you never know what's going to happen because Kansas has definitely had an off year. They just haven't been very consistent this year. So I wouldn't look past it. I, I think Baylor has a chance to. But like you said, they have not lost at Allen Fieldhouse. So that's that's always a struggle. <laughs> It'll be interesting, but it seems like there's not a whole lot of um, question marks towards the end of the season. No one's really playing in the Big 12 any marquee matchups. There's no there's no Texas Tech, Kansas here late late in the season. I know uh, just last week we had K-State, Kansas, but for, for their last two games on each side, or each team rather, there's one matchup that you could say, well, they, they might lose this one. And yeah. there's another one where you're like, they're, they're probably going to win that yeah. one. Yeah, especially when you look at the Baylor-K-State game. K-State only won by six. Mm-hmm. So Baylor is definitely still like on that competitive edge. So I definitely think that the Baylor-KU game is going to be interesting. Yeah, there are definitely some, some games to circle, especially with how KU's been playing on the road thus far. A loss to Oklahoma at Oklahoma wouldn't be too far out of their realm, I, I don't imagine. Yeah, true, especially playing at Oklahoma. Yeah. Home court advantage for Oklahoma. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah, coming off of a five-point win against um, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma State being – buried in in the bottom of the big 12 so we'll see but the next game we have on our docket uh another top 10 team dropped a game michigan state lost to indiana 63 to 62 so indiana goes a game above 500 and michigan state as you'll see later on when we go over the ap poll uh drops to just barely within the top 20 or the top 10 rather um for indiana justin smith 24 points four rebounds Devontae Green with 13 points as well for Michigan State. Cassius Winston had another great game, 20 points, 5 rebounds, 11 assists. Um, Kenny Goins back with from injury with 14 points. Uh, could not get it done, though, however. There was the only – actually, there was another guy, Xavier Tillman, in double figures. But, I know Indiana's not in the top 25, but they're one of those teams that has a very successful basketball program. So – it doesn't really shock me that it was Indiana that, you know, upset Michigan State just because they're they're like the Syracuse, you know, they're they're a very familiar, successful basketball um program. So wasn't super shocking, but um I could maybe see Indiana you said they're they just got above five hundred, so Yeah, fifteen and fourteen. 
Yeah, I would like to see them make it in the tournament, but not sure if that will happen. Obviously, beating Michigan State helps them. but They started out the season super hot. I believe that at some point they were ranked within the top 15. Um, they beat Marquette. They did lose to Duke pretty bad by like 21 points. They beat Louisville, Butler. Uh, and then after their loss to Michigan, they went cold and I think won one out of the next. It looks like roughly 12 games. It was yeah. not a good stretch, but their, their one win over that 12-game stretch was against Michigan State. So they sweep Michigan State throughout oh the season. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Another close one, 79-75, and that was at Michigan State. So wow. that's going to be nice to have, especially a road win against a team like Michigan State if you're looking to build that kind of uh-huh. March Madness resume. Yeah. And, and I don't think they're, the Indiana's counted out, um, but it, they're going to have a lot of makeup work to do here, and right. the rest of their season is at Illinois versus Rutgers. So yeah. not a lot of yeah. big matchups yeah. late. At Illinois, that could be tough for them, too, to finish out. Yeah. That it could. And then the last game that we have that, that's kind of a, a bigger game, um, UCF beating Houston. I'm trying to find the final score for that game. Everything just went wonky on me here at the last minute. Um, um, that was 69-64. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 69-64. So UCF takes that one. Colin Smith, 21 points, 7 rebounds. And then Taco Fall, 13 points, 10 rebounds. Houston... Corey Davis Jr. and and a, and a couple other scorers in double digits, but for predominantly it's Corey Davis Jr.'s offensive team and a great performance from him, but not a lot, not enough around him. And and there's potential now for the tournament that we could have three AAC teams higher than I would say ten seeds because now now UCF is ranked, Houston's still ranked, and then Cincinnati's still ranked. So that's those mm-hmm. are the three teams that we could be getting from the AAC, which is interesting. Yeah, and you know what? I was calling this. I was waiting for Houston to be challenged here because I kind of felt like they were definitely overrated just a little bit, and then, boom, UCF comes in and takes it away from them. So um, I'm not really surprised by it just because I, from the beginning, didn't really wasn't really super confident about Houston. I didn't feel like – I don't want to say they didn't deserve it, but I just feel like they were definitely overrated and overranked just a little bit. Yeah, especially them getting into the top ten. I think we talked about that last week with – they were at eight last week, yeah. and we were both just like, I don't think that no, they really. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we really haven't played anybody other than like Baylor and right. Cincinnati. And if Cincinnati is the best team you've played, you definitely don't deserve exactly. top ten. <laughs> but um, those are the games we're recapping, and now we're going to take a look at um, the AP poll, which came out just a couple hours ago. There are some shape ups, uh, but not in the top two. The top two stay Gonzaga, Virginia. Number three, we see a new number three in North Carolina. Number four is Duke, who received one vote for number one still. Um, Tennessee at five. Uh, Kentucky at six. Michigan jumps up two to number seven. Texas Tech gets into the top ten at number eight. Michigan State drops three but stays in the top ten. And then LSU jumps up six to get that tenth spot. Is there anybody that should have dropped more, should have dropped less, or should have we went up even more? Um, I would say maybe Michigan State dropped at least one more. Um they lost to it was Indiana, right? Yep. Yeah. When you look at it, they lost to them twice. I mean, they've been unranked all year, so I don't really see why they still deserve to be in the top 10. I think that they should have dropped to 10 or 11, and that's, I guess, just my opinion. And I think I kind of feel like Texas Tech should have moved up at least one more, and same with Tennessee. 
Um, obviously, there people in the AP voting are still holding on to Duke and loving Duke so much. Um, they only dropped one spot, but um, I think Tennessee probably should have moved up one more spot, and Duke should have dropped another. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think Duke losing to, I believe it was Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. 77-72. I know you don't have Zion Williamson, but you still have Reddish, and you still have R.J. Barrett. You still have like the other four of the top five signees right. in, in the nation right. from last year. So there's not a lot of excuses you can make exactly. at this point and to drop just, just one, one spot. spot. That's, that's just a little crazy to me. You look at all the other numbers and nobody moved up one or dropped one. It's all been two or three or four. So the fact that it's just Duke, like it's really, really, you're going to play it like that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because the interesting thing is that they lose to Virginia Tech by four or five points. So yeah, you drop you drop at least a couple, but you, you get Kentucky who who had a twenty point blowout almost to Tennessee. They drop just two spots. Yeah, and, and, and then you six. see and then you see Michigan State who loses to Indiana by by a single point, drop three spots. Right. You see Houston that loses to UCF who who's not a bad UCF team. It's just they they lost a conference game. They drop four spots as we'll see here. They're at number twelve right now. Yeah, and it, it's like. You it's get not these consistent. teams, yeah. You get these teams that like that lose, but the AP poll, like you said, they still kind of hold on to yeah. Duke being Duke, right? And having that Duke caliber team, and they're thinking that maybe, and this is something that Jacob Blair and I, and I'm probably you have the same exact thoughts, is that they keep holding on to these teams that they, they know are going to perform well at the end of the season and yeah. come tournament time for like SEC, ACC, like conference tournaments that they're going to come out and they're going to win and they're going to say, "See, we got it right." You just got to give us another week or two. Yeah, yeah, I just I don't agree with that thinking because it's just it doesn't make sense to me. Um, it's not I just don't see really how it's fair. Um, there, there's obviously favoritism being shown towards these powerhouse schools like Duke and Kansas, and I could go on, but um, that's the AP for you. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the 18th week, and I think that I I told you this before. This is this is one of the ones where for the most part it's a little better. It's, it's better than what we've gotten. Yeah. As we'll go through now, 11 through 20, we have Purdue jumping up three spots to 11. Houston, like I said, dropped four spots down to 12. Kansas jumps up two um, to 13. Florida State jumps up four to 14. Virginia Tech, after beating Duke, jumps up five to number 15 now. Marquette dropping two conference games this last week, drops six spots to number 16. Nevada losing another conference game, uh, drops down five spots to number 17. K-State, who lost to Kansas um, but was able to bounce back against Baylor, um, drops two more spots. And then Buffalo uh, at number 19, jumping up two spots. And then Cincinnati at number 20, jumping up three spots. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm just looking at the Kansas and Kansas State difference, and it blows my mind. Because so Kansas moves up two spots after beating Oklahoma State. Tell me how that makes sense, because it doesn't at all. Oklahoma State is a team that you should beat. And the f- how many points did they win by? Yeah, like it was like five. Two or five? Yeah, yeah. it was like... It was that five. is insane. And then Kansas State, yeah, they lost to Kansas earlier in the week, but then they went on to beat a tough Baylor team, and they dropped two. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. I just... This blows my mind. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I think it's kind of weird, because... Yes, Kansas lost to Oklahoma State, and I think that they or they won, they beat Oklahoma State rather. But but I think it's more the teams that were ahead of them lost as mm-hmm. well, and I think that's why Florida State jumped up as much as they did because they they played um, Notre Dame and then they played NC State 
and, and those teams are really not that great. But Florida State gets the jump because Marquette lost, Nevada lost, mm-hmm. and because K State didn't win out their week. And yeah. same thing kind of goes for um, for Kansas. I know Virginia Tech. I'm looking right here at their schedule. Um, they had the Duke win, and then they beat Notre Dame. So I, I guess they jump up a couple because it's, it's beating Duke. Mm-hmm. It, it, exactly. A lot of teams, yeah. Lot of teams that's that's going to be their staple their staple win. And if this was a team that's looking out, trying to get in to March Madness here at the end of the season. Having a win against a top five team, regardless of when it was at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, that's going to be that's going to be a win that you're going to have circled. And you're going to say, "Oh well, we beat Duke whenever they were right, hot. right." Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And it, I mean, they jumped up five after. Um, did they play again after that Virginia Tech? Uh, they no, that was the last. That game was the last played. game. Yeah, so them jumping up five, I say, is pretty reasonable. I just the Kansas thing, it just it, it really bugs me. Really bugs me. And then you look at teams like Nevada or. Even Buffalo and Cincinnati, I just feel like they still don't really get the same treatment, which is understandable. I understand that because, I mean, you have teams like Houston that, you know, we were talking about earlier. They were eight, and we're like, really? Do you really deserve to be up there? Um, But it's like if you're going to favorite certain teams, I just feel like you need to kind of share the love a little bit. And um, it's, it's hard to predict, though, with those teams because you look at their conferences and you're like, well, okay, well, they're not playing very tough. So I, I understand that part of it, but it's just really kind of crappy for the AP to just, well, we're, we're going to pick Kansas as our favorite, Duke, Kentucky, Tennessee, and then they, they just don't give, like, the proper um, seedings, which really affects this time of the year when we're approaching March Madness. So Yeah, because that's what I was thinking right there with you because, like, it come tournament time, I don't want to play Nevada. Yeah. If I'm one of the teams at the top, Nevada's on pace right now, I believe, to get a six seed. And if you're one of those one or two seed teams, you you don't play. You don't want to play Nevada. You want to play a team that's that's projected a six seed like Buffalo, Cincinnati, Florida State, Virginia Tech even. Like those kind of teams, those are teams that I want to play if I'm a one or a two seed as a six seed playing them. Yeah. I don't want to play I don't want to play Nevada. I don't want to play Marquette. I know Xavier Howard is an animal. He's he's able to do stuff on the court that not a lot of people can. And right. it's if you're one of those top teams, you pick and choose who you play. Kind of looking at it, and those are two teams that, although they haven't played great basketball the last week or two, they're still teams that that can catch fire, especially come tournament time when they know they're playing for something. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you look at Nevada's record; they're only twenty six and three. So very dangerous team that you're not really sure what to expect from them um their conference obviously not a powerhouse conference but still they're um they're still hanging in there and so like you said i wouldn't want to play them when it comes down to conference or tournament time so yeah and the and the utah state team that they just played and lost to 81 76 i believe they're projected to come into the tournament, tournament as like an 11 seed. Yeah. So so that Utah State team's not a bad team that they've right. played. It's just luck of the draw. They just beat them whenever they whenever whenever right. it got down to the end of the season. Right, yeah. Everybody's kind of got that itch. They're like, oh, yeah, it's a couple of weeks away. So definitely everybody's kind of stepping up their game at the right moment. Yeah. And then rounding out the 25, uh, Wisconsin drops two to number 21. Wofford jumps back up to... Uh, to number 22, Villanova gets in at number 23. Maryland drops seven spots back down to number 24, and then UCF gets in at number 25. And then the others receiving votes 
Auburn is next in line, Mississippi State, and then Iowa State as well. And then Utah State, that team that just beat Nevada, is, I believe, sitting fourth. They had 17 votes to get in, so there's potential that we could see another uh, Valley team getting in. Was Wofford an AAC team? Or? No, they are a Southern Southern Conference team. Southern Conference. Okay, I, I thought they were a part of the Cincinnati and all of those. I was going to say, that's crazy if there's like four of them now making it. Well, what's interesting about Wofford is that potentially um, if it comes down to ter- in the conference tournament, whoever wins their conference gets an automatic bid. So if Wofford loses their tournament and say a team like Furman wins, we could get two Southern teams in because Wofford's uh, probably going to get yeah. in for sure because they're a, a ranked team. And if if they don't win their conference tournament, we could be seeing two Southern teams in. Interesting. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I definitely think Iowa State still has a chance um, to make it in. I mean, I think they have a good good draw still. I mean, they're only 9-7, and seven, so that's not terrible. But, um, I mean, sitting right behind Baylor in the conference standing. So I definitely think they still have a good opportunity to get in. Yeah, I, I think Maryland – deserved to drop as far as they did too. I know seven's a, a big number, but losing to, to Penn State, who has, has not been playing great basketball, I'm trying to find their record right here now. Um, they are sitting at a 12 and 16 record, five and 12 in conference play. So losing to that team by 17, like they did 78, 61 is not good. And then <laughs> you, you turn around and you lose a close one to Michigan at home, which isn't what you want, but Having two losses on the week is going to drop you about as far as it did for um, Marquette did. They dropped six. Nevada lost one and dropped five spots. So seven for Maryland is respectable based off yeah. how everybody else has played out. Yeah. And is this the first week that Nova is back up in the top 25? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Coming yeah. off of, I believe coming off the, I know the win against Marquette because that was a big one that, right. that, they, were, that they were talking about. And then they beat Butler um, this weekend as well by 21, a 75-54 game. Yeah. Yeah, they're back in at 23, so that's interesting, too, because they weren't in the top 25 um, last week, so definitely Marquette, that really helped them a ton. And it just shows that this time of the year, like I've said multiple times, these teams are feeling that urge and that pressure of the tournament approaching, so I think we might see, even yet next week, we might see a lot of changes um, in the top 25. Yeah, especially now with, with that win over Marquette, Villanova takes over in the Big East by half a game over Marquette, who who had almost ran away with it. They were up two games, I believe. Uh, Nova now sitting at thirteen and four, and then Marquette sitting at twelve and four. Uh, so, is there is there anything else about the AP that you want to bring up? That you have an issue with maybe seating wise or even bracketology? We can talk bracketology for a minute. I mean, I think I think I pointed out my issues with the AP. <laughs> I think we every week it seems like there's something that. It just like baffles me that they somehow come up with. But what are you gonna do? It is AP. But if you want to go on to bracketology, you can do that. Yeah, we got week eighteen. It took eighteen weeks for us to to finally agree with um, with how bracket has been has been. So we find or not bracket uh, AP poll. Yeah. It took eighteen weeks, and now now we're finally like, <laughs> you know what? This this is more okay than we yeah. have seen. It's a little better. I won't give them too much credit just because they still are messing up a little bit. But still, still a it's couple a little of, better. It's <laughs> still a couple of nitpick things. Kinda. <laughs> but looking at what I have for Bracketology on CBS, um, they have the one seeds. This actually surprises me. 
the one seeds, uh, number one overall seed, Virginia. You have Duke, you have Gonzaga, and then you have Tennessee getting a one seed. See, the one I have on ESPN has Kentucky at the one seed. Yeah. Which, yeah, it says it's mm, it says it updated yesterday. The the one from CBS is updated. <laughs> so today. they're picking Kentucky over Tennessee as a one seed. Yeah, I don't know. And Duke. Well, I mean, Duke makes more sense than picking Kentucky, but okay. ESPN, do your thing. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see when it comes closer to it because that uh, who are the who are the two seeds according to ESPN? Um, North Carolina, Tennessee, Michigan, and Michigan State. Okay, yeah, CBS has Kentucky, Michigan, North Carolina, and then they have LSU as a two seed, which which no. I think is super um, heavily <laughs> that that is one that I'm not sure if I agree with that. Yeah, at ESPN all. has a LSU at a four. Yeah, I, I don't think that LSU plays a at a two-seed two level. Because they have as the three-seeds, and this was updated this morning, they have Houston as a three-seed, Texas Tech as a three-seed, uh, Michigan State, and Purdue as three-seeds. Yikes. Yeah, they have ESPN has Houston, Kansas, um, Texas Tech, and Purdue. So okay. not sure how I feel about Houston being a three-seed. Yeah, after that, we'll kind of see how it shapes up with the conference tournament. If they if they win the conference tournament, I think it's okay. Maybe. I think it, yeah. a, a three seed is okay for them because the, because they'll they'll probably play UCF or or Cincinnati again if if they win the conference tournament, and, and if they beat them again, that I think the three seed or a four seed is is perfectly fine for them. Yeah. Um, I don't really like that LSU as a two seed though. Yeah, that's, according to this, that's a little crazy. I think. <laughs> I th- I think at that point. Texas Tech is a much better viable yeah, option as a three seed. I definitely and, agree. And that's something that I, I have not ever said because I was not a fan of this Texas Tech team, but they, right. they're playing great basketball now. And LSU's playing great as well, but a couple slip ups. They, they lost to Florida. They lost a couple other games where right. they should have won them. Whereas Texas just literally killed Kansas. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they came in and, well, I guess Kansas came in and. Kansas did what Kansas does on the road and yeah. did, not, did not play well at all. I think it's interesting to see that they're both three seeds on on this bracket, on ESPN's bracket. Uh, Tech and Kansas are both three. So Yeah, that should be interesting. Yeah. I, and this one, they have Kansas as a four seed along with uh, Marquette, Kansas State, and Florida State. That makes a little more sense to me. I would say Texas Tech definitely deserves to be a three seed. Kansas, not so much. I would put them at four with K-State as four, too. I think you have to, depending on how the Big 12 shapes up, I think that's, that has to be right. what it is because all of these teams are deserving of a four seed, but I think the winner of the Big 12 gets a three seed, yeah. and that'll pretty much silence everything unless there's a share. Right. If there's a share of the Big 12, at that point it's a coin toss. Yeah, yeah. I know, and right now their share would be between Texas Tech and K-State. So why would Kansas still be above them, which probably will happen. Mark my words. It's going to happen, Andrew. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. But, they, they, the bracketology <laughs> will probably shape up that way. Yeah, it will. Kansas, Kansas will end third, and if they lose to Baylor, possibly even fourth in the Big Twelve, and they'll they'll uh, still put they'll, them higher. Oh yeah, they'll still get a top five seed, no doubt. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> but that's pretty much all the uh, the top seeds um, that we have in our tournaments. Is there any other like where's Nevada sitting? Yours maybe. Um, they're Tech sitting now. at a five seed right now on ESPN's bracket, which 
That's a little generous, I think. Just yeah. a little. That, that's where that's where CBS has them as well. They have Nevada as a five seed, but they have them in the same uh, in the same East region as uh, Virginia. So so that would be interesting because according to what CBS has, it's Kansas, Yale, Nevada, Lipscomb, um, Auburn, UCF, and then Virginia and, and whoever's the last one of the last four in. So there's potential that Virginia hmm. could be playing. Kansas or Nevada, and like I said earlier, if you're Virginia, you don't want to play either one of them. Right. I guess yeah, if you had to pick one, you'd probably rather play Kansas, honestly. True. Yeah, this ESPN bracket is totally different than the one you have because it has Nevada in the south um, area playing New Mexico State. <laughs> so that's a little different yeah. <laughs> matchup for them. <laughs> But eventually, if they if they won, they would have to go against Marquette because they have Marquette right under Nevada as a four seed. So interesting, yeah. Interesting. So yeah, that's that's kind of how ESPN and how CBS are setting up their brackets. We've got a couple more weeks, I believe, two more weeks until um, the brackets are officially released. And when they when they do, we will we will be the first to jump on. Till the madness begins. Yeah, and we'll we'll jump on that and and get all of our picks out there and. We'll probably spend the entire episode going over our entire matchups. But we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back and go over the NFL Combine that was this weekend. And we are back now with some NFL Combine stats. We're going to go ahead and start by going over um, all the 40-yard times. We're going to go by position now. So we are going to start um, with the quarterbacks. So the record time um, set back in 2006 is 435 no one even got close. We're not. We're not going to worry about that. It's just just for <laughs> reference. Uh, the fastest quarterback forty time was by Trace McSorley out of Penn State with a four point five seven, and then next we had Tyree Jackson out of Buffalo four point five nine. Easton Stick, North Dakota State at four point six two. Um, Nick Fitzgerald with four point six four out of Mississippi State. Um, Drew Locke getting in from Mizzou at four point six nine. Ryan Finley out of NC State, 4.73. Um, then Jake Browning, 4.74 out of Washington. Jordan Tiamu, uh, Mississippi with a 4.77. And then the Duke Daniel Jones at 4.81. Jared Stidham also at 4.81 out of Auburn. And that's basically the top 10. Um, Will Greer, 4.84 uh, at number 11. And then Dwayne Haskins at number 15 at 5.04. So those are kind of the more notable um, players as well. Garner Minshew, 4.97 out of Washington State. Is there anybody in that list that, that kind of made a name for themselves in, in this draft class possibly with their 40 time? I think Drew Locke sitting at fifth definitely um, helps him. Um, a 4.69, that's you know kind of like average for a quarterback. So, but the fact that he is sitting at five, I think that stands out. I think that definitely helps um, his chances. And um, the fact that he is above some big names like West Virginia's quarterback or um, there's an Auburn quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Like he's above some some bigger name quarterback. So I think that definitely helps his um, case. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I think he's, I think he's the first big name guy that that kind of pops out. From the forty times, I know I know Trace McSorley, Tyree Jackson, Easton Stick, and Nick, Nick Fitzgerald aren't top five quarterbacks, um, but Drew Locke being a top five quarterback mm-hmm. in the in this draft and him being the first name that gets put up there from the forties. Um, the next high, the next guy that's on that top five is Daniel Jones, and he's sitting at ninth. 
Yeah. And then Will Greer's not even a top five quarterback in this class, and he's sitting at 11. So I think if he would have ran faster, potentially could have boosted his draft stock. And I, I don't think it's going to hurt Dwayne Haskins because he's not a running quarterback. He, he had, I think he had 150 career rushing yards yeah. at Ohio State. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes more sense. But. Yeah, not, not a mobile kind of guy. Right. But but then again, neither is Drew Locke. But right. having that speed is something that yeah. that's going to be beneficial. Definitely, he he could be you know a running quarterback. Like we've seen him um, at Mizzou. He you know kind of was mostly passing, but we've seen him in the pocket scrambling, whatever it may be. Um, he definitely can with being in the top five on the forty. Like that's going to stand out to coaches and be like, oh, okay, like well we know he's fast and quick, so we can use him in more ways. And maybe Dwayne Haskins. Exactly, and then jumping over to the running backs. We have the the best uh, time set back in 2008, Chris Johnson. Um, once again, no one even got close to that. <laughs> 4.24, no one got close. Um, we see Justice Hill, though, the fastest time out of Oklahoma State with a 4.4 even. Uh, Raquel Armstead out of Temple, 4.45. Jordan Scarlett out of Florida, 4.47. Along with Mike Weber from Ohio State, 4.47. Travis Homer, 4.48 out of Miami. Daryl Henderson, 4.49, along with Karan Higdon and Miles Sanders as well. Both of the, all three of those guys getting 4.49s. And then Travion Williams, 4.51, and Tony Pollard at 4.52. Um, the only other name on here past that point is Miles Gaskin out of Washington with a 4.58 at 13th. Um, so, so not the fastest running back class, but there, there are some people at the top that that started to make a name for themselves, like like Justice Hill. I think he, up until today, had ran the fastest forty time overall. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you look at these top five, and besides Florida and Ohio State, I mean, some of these names not really super familiar with. But then the farther down you look, there's uh, Alabama running back, Texas A and M, Michigan, uh, Washington, um, that are farther down. So it's like. I feel like this is the time for some of those guys who definitely know they need to kind of prove themselves, and you can kind of see it in the top five with guys from Temple or Oklahoma State that maybe don't get as much recognition as the guys from Alabama or Ohio State or, you know, so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. a 440, it's pretty good, though, for, I mean, it's not 424, but yeah, <laughs> I, no. you have to be flying 424. But 440, it's pretty good for running back. Yeah, and speaking of running backs, I f- forgot all about him. Um, Elijah Holyfield, son of Evander Holyfield, he had one of the one of the more disappointing um, forty yard dashes. He ran a four point seven eight, and for a running back of his caliber, five ten two seventeen, not necessarily a power back, but he, he's definitely got the power with twenty six be- twenty six bench reps. But four point seven nine is not going to really cut it, and. His draft stock is already going down um, after that, so there's a couple of question marks with with Elijah Holyfield. Yeah, four seven nine, gotta you gotta trim it down a little bit. Like, I mean, it goes up to four five eight on this list. That's where they cut it off. So mm-hmm. that's really not helping him at all. Yeah, he's sitting quite a bit down there in the in the rankings. And now looking over towards wide receivers. We have the recent best set two years ago, John Ross, um, the actual record now, 4.22. Um, we had some people that, that, that did all right, not not uh, not anywhere close to 4.22, but I guess nine hundredths of a second is, is still fairly close. 
Uh, Paris Campbell and Andy Isabel led the way. Um, Ohio State for Campbell and for Isabel, Massachusetts. And then we had Nicole Hardman from Georgia, 4.33. DK Metcalf, and we'll get more into his his combine day um, later at Ole Miss with a 4.33. Terry McLaurin, 4.35 out of Ohio State. Emmanuel Hall, 4.39 out of Mizzou. And Darius Slayton as well at 4.39. Past that point, uh, not a whole lot of bigger name players, a lot of them sticking to within that top 10 range of, of speed. And the wide, this wide receiver class is not great, but the, but there are a few hitters here early in, in the draft for in terms of speed for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of the top, even through nine, a lot of them have the same times. I mean, 4-3-1, there's two guys with that. And then next one, 4-3-3, three, three, two guys with that. So it's uh, – it's very close, and uh, like you said, um, this wide wide receivers class is a very speedy one. And the fact that there is another Mizzou player um, right there at the top, I think that speaks volumes about Mizzou and their program. And that um, you tend to see a lot of Mizzou players in the NFL. And I think um, you know maybe Mizzou's not the most successful program together, but they are putting guys out there. Um, in the NFL and in the Combine, and they're obviously making names for themselves. So I think they're definitely, like, that says a lot about Mizzou and that they're making strides in the right direction by getting guys out there in the NFL. Yeah, and another thing about Emmanuel Hall that I that I saw from the draft, one of the high, or not the draft, from the Combine, um, one of the highlights is he actually has the longest or the furthest long jump. Um, he actually set the record this year. I didn't realize it until wow. just now. Um, the long jump of 11 foot 9 inches. And there was a guy, Miles Boykin, right behind him at 11 feet 8 inches. Hmm. So, so both of those guys had potential to get the record. Um, Manuel Hall edges out though. So, so not a guy that I, I didn't didn't think he had 11 foot 9 yeah. inches in him to, to be able to do that. But interesting nonetheless. So now we're going to go over two tight ends for the 40. Um, Noah Fant leading the way from Iowa, 4.5 even. Caleb Wilson at 4.56. Josh Oliver, 4.63. Irv Smith, 4.63 as well for him out of Bama. Um, Foster Maru uh, at LSU, 4.66. And then the other notable name on here, TJ Hawkinson from Iowa, 4.7 even is what I'm seeing here. So so there are some speedier guys towards the top. I know Noah Fan especially with a 4.5. That, that would put him, let's see, let's see here. For the wide receivers, he would... He would be sitting basically right outside the top 15. Yeah. So he, he's faster than a good chunk of, of wide receivers in this year's class. That's pretty good. And then, I mean, you look at freaking Iowa boys. Like, what? Okay, what is up? Like, there's two of them that um, pretty good times for a tight end. A 4-7, like, that, I mean, when you compare it to a wide receiver, maybe it's not as fast. But when you think about tight end, that's pretty average, I would say, for um, a tight end and I mean, when you even like the farther down a four eight three, like that's not terrible. But the guys that are on this list aren't super big names. I mean, there's a Boston College, Utah State, um, Iowa. I mean, San Diego State. So obviously, Alabama being in the top three, that's not really a shocker. UCLA, but there's guys that are definitely making names for themselves at the combine. Yeah, and then moving on to safeties is actually where um, we see another record. 
uh, Zedrick Woods of Mississippi ran the fastest time for a safety um, in the in the draft at four point two nine, and then we see Darnell Savage out of Maryland four point three six, Darius West at Kentucky with a four point three nine, Will Harris out of Boston College four point four one, Juan Thornhill out of Virginia four point four two, and then past that, um, the only notable names. Let's see, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson tied for eighth out of Florida at 4.48. And then past that, there's really not a whole lot of notable names um, that are going to be in there. These players still are, I believe they're still doing the 40s. I know today there is corners and defensive backs and and other positions as well. But for the most part, I think they've already gone. Yeah, is it? Do they get three attempts at it? Or is it just two? Two attempts. Two attempts. And, and I, I'm not sure if they're still running, and the, some of the athletes could still be competing. I know um, when I checked it, Nasir Adderley out of Delaware is going to be a guy that is slept on. Um, and I don't. when I checked, he hadn't ran yet. But that was a couple hours ago, so mm-hmm. there's a chance. Um, Zedrick Woods, though, making a, making a pretty big jump for himself. Not a lot of people had him high on their radar, but after running a 4.29, I'm sure he's – fairly higher up on a bunch of people's draft yeah i mean (laughs) breaking a record that just oh man that just boosts your resume so much especially when maybe not as popular of a name from mississippi so that's really impressive a 429 especially it being in the 42 yeah that's something that that not a lot of people get to get to brag about right and i mean a safety you that's where you want a lot of speed so that does speak volumes about his performance yeah and then jumping over to the edge position where they have the pass rushers off the edge um we see another record montez sweat out of mississippi state ran a 4.41 and, and that's and that's saying something because this man is two or six six 260 pounds wow he he was moving and i was watching the video of him doing yeah. his Doing the run, and, and he was zooming through. Uh, Justin Holland out of Oregon at 4.5 even. Brian Burns, Florida State, 4.53. And Chase Winovich out of Michigan at 4.59. Jamal Davis, Akron, 4.6 even. Um, past that, Josh Allen out of Kentucky, who's supposed to be a top five pick at 4.63. Um, after that, not a whole lot of notable names further on down the list. But but there, are, Montez Sweat definitely boosted his his draft stock. I know in in the mock draft that we do on WSK, I had him going late in the top ten. I think I had him at eight to Detroit, and this definitely helped where yeah. I have him sitting. Yeah, no, I definitely agree because that's another position where you really want speed. Somebody getting around um, the edge there, of course. So, yeah, like you said, that definitely boosts um, his draft stock a ton. I mean. A four four one, like the next, it's not even close. The next one's a four fifty, so that that is like night and day difference. Yeah, po- that point oh nine, it, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it it's is. It's a lot. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and then, so on to defensive linemen. We don't see a record, um, but Rashawn Gary, once again, head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. Out of Michigan, four point five eight is his time. Max Crosby out of Eastern Michigan, 4.66 is the next best. Uh, Noah Cheminsky out of Charleston, 4.69. Nick Bosa, 4.79. And then we see Quinnen Williams, 303-pound Quinnen Williams with a 4.83. 
uh, time for him. And then past that, not a whole lot of notable names. But but there are some some people on the list that are within that top ten um, in terms of stock draft stock mm-hmm. and then in terms of their 40 times as well. So there could be – this is a heavy defensive class, but there are some people in here that, that could definitely make some waves. Yeah, and I mean – Anthony Nelson, another Iowa guy. Like, there's been three or four guys from Iowa that have been in the top ten at least. So that was kind of shocking to me. And um, just another, like I was talking about Mizzou, it just speaks volumes about those football programs. They are producing um, NFL athletes. So to see four or five guys from Iowa that are doing very well in the combine, that's really cool to see. Yeah, definitely interesting. Um, but where we get more interesting is the linebackers, and th- this is my favorite because what separates number one through number four is three hundredths of a second. We were talking about oh, wow. <laughs> nine hundredths of a second yeah. between first and second. This is three hundredths of a second between first and fourth. Number one, uh, Devin White out of LSU. Number two, just a hundredth of a second behind him at 4.43, Devin Bush. And then behind him is Gary Johnson, 4.43 as well. David Long out of West Virginia, 4.45. And then Blake Cashman out of Minnesota at 4.5 even. Past that point, um, not a whole lot of notable names. A couple players from, another player from Notre Dame, from Stanford. uh, Kentucky, Jordan Jones, 4.62. But the top of that board is where everybody's eyes turn to go, especially one through four. Mm -hmm. And Devin, White, and Bush are, are going to be top uh, first-round guys. They're going to be going definitely before the top 15, possibly even top 10, both of them. And Gary Johnson throwing his name in there as well, kind of saying he's still sticking around. Yeah, and it's crazy that they ran the exact same time. And we've seen that multiple in multiple categories, guys with the exact same times. Like, I feel like that's kind of hard to do, like yeah. to get the exact same time. Uh, but it's very common. We've, we've seen it in multiple positions and um, – it just says a lot about how competitive and how different like the training is like these days when you think about it. Yeah, and I, I saw a video kind of off subject, but on the same um, of Devin White. He realized after after all the linebackers are gone that he he had the best time from linebackers by a, a hundredth of a second. And there was a video I saw of him just breaking down and, and crying, because all the training and all yeah. all the work that he'd put into it to to beat out Devin Bush by. A hundredth of a second. Yeah, that's crazy. But now we move on to cornerbacks, where the record was set back in 2017. Jalen Myrick, 4.28. And Jameel Dean got very, very close to that out of Auburn, 4.3 flat. Mark Fields out of Clemson, 3.37. Greedy Williams out of LSU, 4.37 for him as well. And then Isaiah Johnson at 4.4 out of Houston. So... Once again, there there's some names at the top with Greedy Williams. Um, another name that slips down to number 11 is Trayvon Mullen from Clemson at 4.46. And you and I were talking about this guy from Washburn, mm-hmm. actually. Corey Ballantyne um, was 12th. He was 12th with a time of 4.47. So so a guy down down at the Division II level yeah. getting an invite and yeah. making some splashes, getting his name up there as well. That's crazy because I literally remember – and we played at Washburn this year. I was watching him, and I was like, oh, man, like this dude is definitely going to go to the draft because he is so fast, 
and he's very like hard-hitting aggressive so um this is just crazy i mean a guy from the miwa at the combine and he is just ran a 447 and i mean yeah he's at he's tied for 12th but the times are so close here that's still a very good time for his position and really just speaks volumes about uh, the Division II level, especially the MIAA, it's such a very competitive conference. And um, a lot of people obviously look down on Division II for whatever reasons. But um, that's just, I just think that's really cool to see um, yeah. a guy from our college level that is going out to the combine and turning some heads. So. Well, and he's got some even more heads that turned just away from the from the 40-yard dash. He also took first place in the broad jump. 11, 11 feet three inches so wow, yeah. another an, an inch away from justin lane at 11 foot two inches and isaiah johnson at 11 foot one inch along with some others but taking away number one overall for the long jump as well so so once again <laughs> ballantyne making a name yeah. for himself for, from that category as well and he sits currently uh fifth for the vertical jump as well at 39 wow. and a half so he's definitely making a name for himself and that's just so cool to see um especially when you're going up against guys from Alabama and, you know, Clemson and Auburn and all these big teams and a guy from Division Two football over here. And he's just, that's, yeah, that's crazy. When I saw that on Twitter earlier today, I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. So I really hope that um, that stands out to some teams because yeah. he's obviously willing to work hard for it. And, and they might have to update his prospect card as well because right now they have him at a 5.39 um, grade, and, and it says NFL backup or special teams potential. Hmm. Yeah. So, I, so I think after it's all said and done, they they might have to move that up. Because yeah, I have a feeling. I agree. I have a feeling at least one team will bite on him. Yeah. Based off his his draft alone, I, yeah. I think that there's the athleticism, and I understand that Division Two tape's not as good as Division One. Right. But if you're able to do the stuff that that he's shown yeah. through his statistics, yeah, there, there's a there's a big number. <laughs> exactly, especially when you're beating out team guys from Washington or Penn State or all you know Clemson, Michigan. Like that just says a lot, and mm-hmm. definitely shouldn't be overlooked. And then rounding out the forty times, that's all we pretty much have time to go over here. Um, the offensive lineman Eric McCoy led the way with a four point eight nine. Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College, 4.91. Garrett Bradbury, NC State, 4.92. And then Andre Dillard out of Washington State with a 4.96. So so nothing standing out super, superly. I, I don't think there's anything. I don't even think that's a word. But nothing that really stands <laughs> out to me, at least, looking at these. Is there anybody on there through that top five? Um, that I, I don't think there's... Because the record um, set by Teron Armstead in 2013, 4.71. No one really gets close to that. Right. And the, on, the only issue that I see on here is that uh, Jonah Williams, who, who's supposed to be one of the coveted linemen out of this draft, is sitting at 12th with a yeah. 5.12. Yeah. Not bad, but you'd possibly want him to get into that top 10 range a little bit. Yeah, especially being from Alabama. Um you know, I think that kind of speaks volumes when there's guys from Elon or Alabama State, Weber State that are sitting above you. Um, I think that that hurts him a little bit. Um, obviously, it helps being from Alabama and knowing what he could be capable of. But um, 
there's just so many times that are very close around the four nine area and or, um, high fives. So I think his time's not awful, but I think he definitely could have been a little better. Yeah, and speaking of the combine in general, we I mentioned earlier DK Metcalf and what the what a combine he had. I got, I got some stats here for you, and you might have seen it on the rundown. Yeah, um, DK Metcalf came in six foot three and three eight, two twenty eight pounds. He ran a four point three three forty. 40.5 inch vertical, 27 reps on bench press, um, an 11 foot two inch broad jump, and his hands measured out at nine nine and seven eighths. And I had another guy on here. I don't know if you've seen. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw the tweet about it or not. But they had another guy that they didn't name until after. Um, six foot two uh, and three fourths of an inch, 220 pounds, 4.39 40 time, um, 38 and a half inch vertical. 17 reps of 225, a 10-foot, 6-inch broad jump, and then 9 and 3 quarter hands. And you said you did see that tweet about it? Yeah. Okay, I was going to say I was going to see if you knew who if you could guess who it was, but Julio Jones and DK Metcalf just by number wise destroys him. Wow. And yeah. It's interesting because it, it kind of hurts DK Metcalf's stock value honestly because he doesn't have a whole lot of tape. Um, only 21 games in, in his college career. He he was hurt a lot, so there's a lot of question marks going going into with that. Yeah, he's definitely performing at the right time, though. Yeah, no, for sure. He he's definitely getting every head turned his yeah. way. Everybody wants to see what right. he's going to do at any given time. Right. Um, but we have just enough time here for our Monday maniac. Did, did you get end up getting one? I did not. I mean, it's kind of hard to beat DK Metcalf. Yeah. But. No. I, I yeah. That, that's one that's interesting. Um, I had for mine a sport that does not get much love. Christine Enigwe out of Cal, the women's Cal team. She recorded Basketball. her yep her 30th double-double with 32 points and 30 wow. rebounds Wow! for the Cal women. I, get, I just kind of just thought of one. I think it was, I want to say two or three weeks ago, I think it was... Arkansas or like Arkansas t- or something like that. Softball. Did you see that? The girl that hit a home run cycle. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. It was on SportsCenter like a couple weeks ago, I think. But she hit a home run cycle. Like, how do you do that? Jeez. That's insane. Like, she literally hit a one run, one run home run, two run home run, three run grand slam like how do you uh that just blew my mind that's something that, that and it's kind of like it's hard enough to hit a normal cycle but to hit a home run cycle that's insane and it's kind of like when you get up there you don't even think about it yeah and then when you get back to the dugout everybody's like talking about it and you're just like oh i guess i did that's that's <laughs> crazy but that is actually all the time we have we're a little bit over time by another minute or two um that is all we got thanks for listening you're listening to kzlx